Well, welcome, friends. Welcome back to Holy Conversations, the WCA podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us today. And I am in Zoom studio with my co-host, Reverend Bob Kaler. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. You're wearing your Kansas City stuff. Yes, I am. My Kansas City Chiefs. This is going to air on Super Bowl week, although we're recording it before the NFC and AFC playoffs. Yes. So So, at this point, we're not quite sure how it's all turning out, but I am hopeful that we will be watching my Chiefs play in the big Super Bowl. It was so fun last year. They hadn't played in a Super Bowl in 50 years. And then for them to win it, ooh, I was a happy girl. Well, I'm glad that we have Steve Cordell with us today because Steve is from my home area of Pittsburgh. (laughs) And we had the inglorious task of watching the Browns play last week and uh, instead of our Steelers who got blown out by the Browns. So, yes. So I'm sure we'll talk about that more, Steve, as we go (laughs) through the podcast, because I'm still not happy about it. And, um, you know, I got texts from people saying, are you okay? And I said, (laughs) I'm I'm really, I'm really not. I'm really not. Uh, It's not a good thing. So (laughs) Uh, for those of you from Cleveland, congratulations. It's about time, but um, we'll, we'll continue to rest on our Lombardis and call That's it. That's right. We'll press on. <laughs> at this point. Yes. And uh, yeah, so everything else is going well and, and we're, you know, off on season two and we've been talking through the, the task forces that the WCA established back in 2019 in their reports. And we do have Steve Cordell with us today. Steve is pastor of Crossroads Church in uh, near Pittsburgh. Now, we everybody always says near Pittsburgh, but specifically what part? Because that's everybody from there will ask you what part, Steve? Well, thanks. It's great to be with you. Uh, we actually have five campus locations. So we are in the west side originally, but we're also in the north in Cranberry. We're in the city itself in East Liberty. We're just south of the city in Upper St. Clair, and we're even uh, in Weirton, West Virginia. So we're around Pittsburgh. Wow. Can anything good come out of Weirton? I mean, that's that's the question. (laughs) We love Weirton. Weirton. It's a great place. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, Cranberry Township, my home county, Butler County. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, so you, you planted that church and, and as a result of that, and after your passion for church planting and church multiplication, you were asked to chair the task force for the WCA on, we, we, we've called it a church planting task force, but it's actually church multiplication task force. I think there's a subtle difference there. So talk a little bit about the work of the task force and how you, how you got together, who was on it, and, and how you started your work. Yes. Uh, well, thanks. We, we uh, did meet together as a task force virtually uh, via, via Zoom for uh, oh, about uh, five months. And uh, I, I won't attempt to get all the names because I'm sure I'll leave some out if I just try it by memory. It's been a while since we've met. Uh, however, uh, as, as we've come together, we really uh, approached this uh, with a blank slate. Uh, you know, we were uh, thinking about it's what a great opportunity to create a vision for a strategy for church multiplication in the new denomination. And uh, so we, we really started with some, some guiding principles 
for example, um, we were going to empower catalytic visionary leaders. That's where we started. We want to say we're going to be uh, we know that that planters need to be supported and identified. So we're going to empower visionary leaders. Uh, one key significant difference in the way we approach this uh, our, our work uh, compared to what's uh, currently the practice in the United Methodist Church is that uh, we are committed to the principle that the local church will own the church planting task. That's different. In other words, a churches reproduce churches. Denominations don't re really produce churches very effectively. Um, it's it's uh, the way to get a movement is for local churches to start local churches uh, and for as a denomination, we come around and help support, strengthen, and uh, empower them. So that's a key key difference. Uh, we also took the approach that we're going to encourage working as networks. Uh, that uh, the network spreads out a risk, you know, in many ways, it multiplies encouragement. So yeah, we're going to work as networks, which means it's a little bit more informal. Uh, we're going to take this multiplication mindset. We, we, we needed to develop a multiplication mindset uh, that's a little bit different than what we see now in the UMC. Uh, not to be throwing stones, but the point is that um, when we have a passion for evangelism and discipleship and leadership development at all levels, church multiplication will become natural and will flow. But without that, uh, church multiplication will be sporadic. And uh, so... Um, we have, uh, as, a, as, a, as a task force, we suggested to the WCA uh, that we, uh, that we uh, convene a, uh, a cohort for a um, multipliers learning community through Exponential. And um, Bob, you're a part of that, so you know very well what that's all about. Uh, so we're starting there. We hope to do that quite often, actually to help create a multiplication mindset throughout the new denomination as it forms. And then uh, also uh, finally uh, our fifth basic principle is to encourage multiple forms of new churches. We're not gonna do a model-based kind of strategy. Uh, we believe there's a number of models that are effective. Uh, we want to equip visionary leaders in the models that they want to pursue and so um, those principles guided our, 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 uh, our work together. I thought it was so interesting uh, looking at the guiding principles that this, this last one that you talked about, the multiple forms uh, for new churches. And under that, I saw listed on the task force report, you know, we can have the traditional model of church. Most of us are familiar with that. But then you also listed culturally targeted or first generation churches. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, well, culturally formed churches might be, for example, a biker's church, you know, which <laughs> really reaches out to a specific demographic, mm -hmm. you know, or we've seen out West cowboy churches. I don't know if you've seen out Bob out there. Oh, yeah. in the Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yep. that's, a, that's kind that's of a, a thing. thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah. So or, or maybe fans of the Kansas City Chiefs that could be part of it too. <laughs> well, I think they need to convert really first to schools <laughs> and then we'll go ahead and reach yeah, out to may, them. Maybe one for Browns fans who live in Pittsburgh. Right, there you like go. That. <laughs> you so, know, that's right. More. And, and, and Bob, you know, we do need to have this kind of grief support group for our healer <laughs> fans. But uh, nonetheless, there are certain demographic, different cultural kinds of groupings that we might reach out to 
Of course, first generation churches, what we're referring to there is immigrants. The, perhaps there's uh, folks coming from whether it's Latin America or Asia and certain language groups. Uh, mm -hmm. So reaching out to folks in those, uh, you know, those demographics will require a different kind of strategy, different kind of leadership uh, than say a traditional UMC or to this point, a local church has evidenced. Yeah, so follow. go yeah. ahead, Stephanie. Okay, I was just going to follow up on that because as I think about that sort of first generation church here in the United States, I, I can wrap my head around what that looks like. What does that mean for um, churches internationally? So for our, our brothers and sisters in Africa or the Philippines, do we have a plan or model for them as well? That's a great question. Yeah, we did uh, keep in mind the global nature of the church, and uh, that presented a couple of issues. One is, um, one was structural, you know, how are we going to structure a church planting um, organization, if you will, uh, globally? Uh, but another was uh, individualization. In other words, um, we don't think, we, we did not assume that it would be very helpful for a primarily American church planning task force to give direction to folks in the Congo about how they should approach church planting. In fact, we would say that they're probably doing it at a better rate than we are in the United States. And therefore, uh, not only can we learn from them, but we want to empower that. And so they will, uh, within, the, within the structure that we're kind of recommending, they will have their ability to formulate their own specific uh, approaches and strategies to reach in their nation and the subgroups in their nation. We'll just simply say, hey, who is there? You know, pay attention to the, the, to the cultural and uh, ethnic uh, kinds of uh, groupings and then formulate your strategy to do that. But we believe they'll do that better themselves than um, say an American group trying to say, here's how you do it. So this is way more organic than the old model, which was you appoint someone to an area, you do what what's typically called in the church planning world, a parachute drop, you know, where you drop somebody in and, and you hope it works and uh, hope they can gather together a group of people and, and make it go. What you're really suggesting is that existing churches are the engine that drives church planting, which is a very different mindset than the grow the church larger. Um, you're talking more about subdivision. I know uh, as part of this exponential cohort that we've been part of, which came out of your task force, one of the things that we keep talking about is that churches often, because of things like the church growth movement in the 90s, which really were, were about adding, how do, you, how do you grow your particular church? You're talking more about multiplication, not just multiplication of disciples, but multiplication of churches. So how do, you, how do you define the difference in those things? Because it, it can sound subtle to someone who's kind of looking from the outside, but what's the real difference there? Yeah, well, yes, there is a significant difference. And let me say at the outset, we expect to be on a dual track for multiplication of churches. The one track is going to be uh, identify, recruit church planters and see how we can turn them loose in the areas they feel called to. And in some ways, the traditional kind of church plant that's happened to date. The difference there, by the way, uh, you know, I was a church plant. I was, I was, I was a, a church planter who was a parachute drop. 
So, you know, my wife and I and our three kids, we drove into town. We were the church. That was the parachute drop style. Um, I think the fewer of those we can do, the better. <laughs> uh, but uh, nonetheless, there's no uh, stress whatsoever in that at all. <laughs> not at all. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Church planting can be a stressful experience. Uh, but, you know, um, there is value, I think, f- initially for us to be able to identify church planters and, uh, you know, support. And here, one difference we'll take is, I was assigned to an area. What we want to do is have church planters um, sense God's call to them and go where they're going to call be called. We don't want to have uh, any barriers put up between their dream, their vision, uh, and uh, the ability to carry that out. So uh, we will do less assigning and more uh, empowering to those kind of leaders. So yeah, we are going to do some of that to keep, you know, get the ball rolling in church multiplication because it will take some time for churches to start to understand that they're empowered to plant and know how to plant and then get the wheels of discipleship and equipping turning in a way that will result in plants. Uh, We believe that it's going to happen. It just might take a couple few years for that to really kick in um, so um, we're going to run on two tracks. One is sort of traditional, as I mentioned. The other is let's let the local church do this role. Now, uh, what does it look like and what are the, what's, what's unique about that? Well, here's, here's what we're going to find, that um, when a local church gets the idea, hey, maybe we can help a church start, whether it's on the other side of town or in the neighboring state, whatever, they might sense, okay, God wants us to do this. And by the way, we're going to help them sense that. <laughs> we're going to teach churches how to become mother churches. You know, we want to teach seminars, for example, on churches planting churches. So we're going to seed the, the cloud, if you will. We're going, to, we're going to take those steps, teach churches, hey, this is your role, because they won't naturally know that. Um, as they start to gather that idea we expect that there's going to be a season where they're going to say, okay, we're getting some money together. We want to see a church plant. Uh, maybe we even have a few people who are going to go off and help. Now, now send us a planter. Uh, we'll, we're going to then want to say to that church, um, you know what will be best is if you supplied the planter. And how does that happen? For some churches, they're going to be able to disciple people well enough that they will raise up church planters out of their congregation. Uh, We've sent several church planters from our congregation, for example. And so I know this is possible. Uh, This is going to be really uh, working hand in glove with your task force, Bob, about intentional discipleship and accountable discipleship. That's the foundation on which church multiplication rises. When we multiply and disciple people well, um, then we're going to have a chance to see churches producing the church planters because when it comes down to it even if you're going out and recruiting a church planter some church developed that planter they came out of some church why not ours so we want to develop that kind of process um so i think this is going to be much different for many local churches to to realize wow we can actually plant a church and the way they can do that is raise up a planter And it may be that some of those churches will also identify a planter. In other words, somebody in town, like maybe a college ministry worker or 
some other um, some other uh, parachurch worker might say, hey, "I want to I want to plant a church," and they might be able to recruit, if you will, the church planter themselves. Can maybe find a seminary graduate or something like that. Uh, so that can happen as well. But this is the difference. We want to we want to teach churches. You it's it's your role. You can do this, uh, and that'll take a little bit of time. We recognize. So I have a question about, about this idea. I'm thinking about it from our listeners who are pastors right now, and, and maybe their wheels are turning and God is stirring something in their spirit about, you know, that's something that I want our church to do. And the church that I was previously working at is a church with multiple campuses, uh, similar to where you are. And I remember the process that we went through um, to have satellite campuses going from one kind of mother campus to then all these other campuses. So can you explain to our listeners the difference between maybe being a church planter, like let's say I'm a pastor at a church and I want to help plant other churches, the difference between that and having satellites, or is there a difference? Yeah, well, there is a significant difference in that uh, in a multi-site church, each location is an expression of one church. In other words, it's one church in multiple locations, which means that every location, the vision is going to be the same, the strategy is going to be the same, and they're generally going to see themselves as all one staff. But in a church plant, then there is no structural connection between the mother church and the new church. And the, another, the new church can pursue a much different strategy, reach a much different kind of person than the existing church and to identify the difference between at our camp at our at our church as i say we have uh we have five campuses four out of the five campus pastors have been raised within crossroads they've come from our our church and our discipling process Mm -hmm. um so they naturally reproduce our dna if you will Right. So uh, what I like to say is if the if a, if a pastor wants to replicate an existing church's DNA, say, I want to do that, then maybe they could be a good campus pastor. But if the if the pastor has a sense of I want to I have a different vision, they should be a campus pastor. They should I mean, I'm sorry, they should be a church planter. They should not be a campus pastor. Right. That will create grief and, 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 and friction. <laughs> so. It really is, you know, um, a church planter does have um, a kind of usually an apostolic kind of call to them. They want to see something start where there hasn't been. They're going to be sent by somebody, but they're going to do the, a different kind of a vision. So, Steve, with your with your campus pastors, this just occurred to me as I was thinking about this. We know in the UMC, the ordination process and all that kind of stuff. Are, are those folks in the ordination process, local pastors, or just folks that you've raised up? Right. So what happens is, um, like our Weirton campus pastor, for example, uh, well, um, you know, she came to our church really not a follower of Christ. She came to Christ, got into a group, started growing in her faith, um, became an apprentice group leader, then a group leader, Ended up coaching some other group leaders, uh, started taking on some other ministry responsibility. Then we started a new campus in Weirton. She was there helping that process, became assistant campus pastor, and then now is the campus pastor at Weirton. That's happened in about a period of about six years. So it's uh, it's been fun to watch that. Now that she's there, we say, okay, now let's get you enrolled in a local pastor process 
of the annual conference. So all of them have gone through and are going through the local pastor process. And then uh, they're essentially appointed to our church. That's a great model. It's, it's got to be really exciting to see someone come from no faith at all to suddenly being, you know, nurtured from a church and into leadership in that way. That's, that's a powerful model. And uh, it speaks a lot to your leadership and your, your willingness to kind of give permission for that sort of thing to happen. And, and I think it is a paradigm and model for what we're trying to work into in the new denomination is to not put a lot of steps in front of someone and say, well, if you want to do this, you've got to do X, Y, and Z first. It was like, well, demonstrate you can do this first, and then we'll, we'll start working on the credentialing as you, as you work through that. And we'll have more on ordination down the line here on the podcast, because a lot of people ask those questions. But this model really, really intrigues me, because it, it really is very organic to, to growing people as they then grow the church. Absolutely. And, and uh, if I could speak to that from a church planting perspective, uh, if we're going to accomplish our goal, and I should have mentioned up front when we started as a task force, uh, we started with the scope, uh, our, our strategic vision calls for starting 3,500 new churches globally in seven years. Uh, and we're thinking about 1,500 of those in the U.S. Now, that required us starting with some kind of baseline understanding of how many churches are going to be in the new denomination, which may not uh, pan out. I mean, we just took a wild guess. And so we started with the idea of about 6,000 churches. If, after, if the protocol passes, we hope it'd be about 6,000 churches end up in the new denomination. The reason that's important is that just from an organizational point of view, uh, a denomination needs to start 3% of its total number of churches every year if it wants to break even. Uh, if, if you start less than 3% of your total churches, you will probably be a shrinking denomination. If you want to be a growing denomination, you've got to start more than 3%. So that 3,500 number really is based on about 6,000 U.S. churches. And we didn't know how many churches uh, it would be, you know, outside the U.S., but we thought it would be a healthy number. And generally in Africa, with the growth there, we believe their multiplication will be a little bit faster than the United States, which means that we think if the U.S. can do about 1,500, um, we think Africa will say 2,000. That was our, that was our ballpark number. Um, now, to get to that point, and by the way, that's just a little bit over 3%. That's pushing about 4%. So we're talking about modest growth of the denomination this way. Uh, to get to that number, we have to deal with the credentialing issue. We, in order to get to that number, we need to have, yes, seminary trained pastors multiplying out, but we also need to have a large contingent of bivocational pastors who are not fully ordained anywhere at this point, but are effective at evangelism and discipleship. We need to have a contingent of people that uh, may be effective even now reaching into, say, you know, be it a, you know, a biker community or a Spanish-speaking community or who knows what. But there's going to be some people who are that God has equipped that can pull people together who can who really can become church planters before they get credentialed. And so we need to have a process that's flexible enough that we'll be able to both have good order 
and organic growth. And uh, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, I understand. Um, but this is, this is part of the, the uh, assumptions we have in the multiplication task force, that uh, this kind of openness to leadership that's maybe a little bit less traditional than we've had is going to be essential. And, you know, God works through that to, uh, when a movement, it's hard to control a movement, really. Uh, it's been said you can organize for growth or you can organize for control, but you can't organize for both. And we want to lean in on organizing uh, for growth. And so uh, we've been talking about, with uh, some leadership about what does this mean for credentialing of church planters? I think this is really good too, because you look at other denominations that truly are successful, that have been very successful in winning people to Christ. And a lot of those denominations follow this type of model. They're concerned about the church planning. They, they look at the numbers, they look at the percentages and they think this is how we strategically uh, go about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and helping people grow in their faith. And I think it's fantastic. One of the things that struck me as I was reading the task force document was uh, in your strategic plan, I think it was number eight, it said that you want to have a plan to respond to the stranded churches or the stranded uh, groups post-separation. And so can you talk a little bit to that? Because I feel like, especially in different parts of the United States, there are people at churches, pastors that are going to feel like they are far, far away from the others who are like-minded. They're going to feel like they're out in the wilderness, which they kind of feel like right now. So, so speak to that for us. Sure. Well, we know that there are going to be areas in which uh, a number of United Methodists will not feel comfortable in the direction that their local church takes uh, mm -hmm. after a separation. So um, we do want to, to, create a pathway for a new church to form. Some of those folks may find um, existing churches that are part of the new denomination, mm -hmm. but that may not be the case for, for, for a number of them. So could we start new churches out of uh, those folks? The answer is yes, if. So the if is if the people coming from that denomination uh, are open and are, are desiring to be mission oriented. In other words, uh, we, we will challenge UMs who, who are coming to the new domination feeling stranded um, to consider how outward focused they're going to be. Um, we want to create evangelistic, mission oriented new churches, not simply enclaves of people who didn't like the theology at the other place. So, uh, I think it's safe to say that no church planter is really going to be interested in a group of folks <laughs> who are not passionate about reaching their community. Mm -hmm. So we'll need a process of helping people to discern mm -hmm. another direction. And if they need to have uh, sort of a redirection, if they need to get to the point where they need a little bit of time to let that evangelistic fire build in and we'll have a process to help them do that. Um, but the first question we would ask him is, why would you like to be a new church? And if it's just because, well, we didn't like the theology at the other place, we'll say, okay, we'll come back when you really want to reach the lost, essentially, is what it comes right. down to. <laughs> Good. Yeah, and I, one of the places you've targeted is the West, right. Western U.S., which I, I've said to many people, 
the Horace Greeley line, go West young man or young woman. <laughs> if you are looking for places to plant churches, I mean, it, it really will be a huge mission field here in, yes. in the Western U S and, and the distance between places, because we have a lot of those enclave kind of uh, refugee kind of <laughs> Methodist refugee kind of communities that will be out here. Some will be more missional than others. But when you look at major cities, even like Denver, uh, th there are there are not uh, real Orthodox United Methodist presences there. So there are going to be people who are who are able to come together more regionally. The, the other thing that I thought about, Steve, because of that distance, I mean, I, I kind of think that the entire Western jurisdiction, at least initially, will probably be one annual conference, <laughs> this new thing. Yeah. So the bishop better have a private jet, <laughs> put that on the last or something like that, or, or at least a, uh, a Range Rover, you know, to be able to get around all these places. But how is technology, and particularly what we've learned through the pandemic, um, have we learned anything about our definitions of church, and this just occurred to me, this was not in what we talked about before. So I'm throwing you a curveball, mm -hmm. but, but I'm sure like Willie Starger, you're going you're gonna to jack it right here. <laughs> here it comes. Um, how do we use technology? And is there a way for us to plant churches technologically in addition to in person? Yeah. Well, we are right now in the great field experiment on that. In fact, our church, uh, our, our particular church, uh, we have a residency. And so we released a church planting resident um, just a few months before the pandemic hit. And um, uh, he, he, our planter uh, talked to me, you know, in the spring saying, um, hey, Steve, you didn't train me on how to plant during a pandemic. And I said, well, <laughs> You're writing that book right now, brother. So, <laughs> but uh, he and other planters like him that are working during and planting during the plant pandemic are really essentially testing the limits of technology right now. So I know a number of them are producing an online worship service and they will uh, gather uh, a group. In other words, they'll have a kind of a small group uh, that they're working with. Uh, they want to multiply that group and they'll encourage those folks to worship and, the, and, to, and to pass on the link to other people. Say, hey, tell your friends to go to the link and you can worship with us there. Uh, so they're having a kind of worship experience online while they have a group, small group in person, but sometimes in Zoom. Uh, so there's, there's a great experiment happening right now. Uh, I tend to think personally that the online worship experience can be a very effective outreach tool. Um, the challenge is going to be to help people online engage in some relational way in the discipleship process with community. And that can look a number of different ways. Um, it can look like going into a Zoom small group right now. It could be gathering in somebody's home to watch that online experience with say eight or 10 people together and then having a kind of meal and a, and a conversation about what was taught afterwards, if you can do that. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of variety happening right now. It is a real experiment. I don't think anybody can say, this is what it's gonna be looking like. This is how it'll work. Uh, it's clear though, 
that technology will extend the reach of the church. But I think the biggest challenge right now is that engagement piece. I think uh, I have not really heard too many people that I could say, hey, they are really finding the answer to how to translate some viewer to an, of an online service into a growing disciple in a sense of community with others. Um, but there are a lot of experiments and uh, I do think that technology is gonna be really essential. And one of the things I said to the, uh, our planter was, you know what, every church is online right now. I mean, only online, this was last year. And so as a planter, you have a great advantage because you look like everybody else on your first week, <laughs> you know, you, you, there's not much difference. So, uh, you know, they, they were they're pursuing that, but uh, you know, honestly, I think it's still an experiment. It's simply, it, I, I would say we cannot ignore the online, the technological impact of um, that we're learning here uh, out of COVID. Yeah. And I, I, things like how do you do things sacramentally, you know, those are all questions and we do have a, a task force, working on ministry for the 21st century that just formed and is, is working on some of those issues. But there are a lot of questions that have to get connected to that. Again, we continue to sort of build the plane while we fly it, as Jeff Greenway has said many times. We're <laughs> trying to figure out how to, how to work through this. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I do think that we're going to see church planters learn how to leverage the internet in a very effective way. But it's always, I believe that the relationship is going to be the fundamental um, defining characteristic of the plant that succeeds. Mm -hmm. um, so it's there, whether it's a watch party in somebody's house or whether it's a small group and a collection of small groups that is going to be tied together to an online service, that can happen. Uh, but uh, we're just have to see how it unfolds. Well, Steve, this has been so helpful today. I'm so grateful to you for giving us this kind of sneak peek into this very important task force report. And I just want to say a word of thanks to you and to your entire team for putting so much time and effort uh, into this and for really, truly paying fantastic attention to detail and to something that is very, very important. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks for all that you have shared. It, it's great to get to know you better. Well, it's my pleasure, Stephanie. And thank you, Bob, for the invitation. Absolutely. And if people are fired up by what they heard, which I'm sure there are some who may be thinking to themselves, well, maybe there is a call on my life to become a church planter. What's their next step? Uh, how, how might we start to, to resource them or, or connect with them? At this point, I would be very glad to have conversation with, with folks. And so you can uh, just my, my email address is steve at xr.church. So if you want to email me, I'd be very happy to be in conversation with you. Excellent. We, want to, we do want to thank you, Steve, for, for joining us and uh, having a fellow Pittsburgher on here really does help <laughs> ease the pain a little bit as we move toward another Steelerless Super Bowl. <laughs> but I'm I'm warmed also, strangely warmed by the excitement around church planting and, mm -hmm. and all the things that are happening. So thank you for joining us. We want to remind you to leave us your comments and questions at our email, which is podcast at wesleyandcovenant.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at WCA pod. And we 
are on every other week. We publish on Thursdays and we're getting into season two. We've got another one coming up here in a few weeks on youth and young adult ministry that we're really excited to, to show and to talk about. So keep, keep in touch, keep connected, give us a review on your favorite podcast platform that does help us drive traffic. Spread the word about the podcast as we're moving into 2021 and we're looking toward what we hope will be general conference and the passing of the protocol and being able to live some of these things we've been talking about that we're so excited about. We'll see you again next time here on Holy Conversations, the WCA podcast.